Well, good morning. Excited to be here. It's, thank you. Well, I'll give you a little bit of time before you say that. But uh, yeah, it's good to be in the Lord's house with the Lord's people. And uh, this is, I might be just a little bit distracted with this headpiece. I'm not used to that. So, but uh, today's message is going to be found in Psalm chapter 7. If you'll open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 7, if you'll please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Psalm chapter 7. We're just going to begin in verse 1. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. Verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I had repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Verse 9. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You test the minds and the hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. Verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Dear Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the ability to come together as your body of believers. Lord, at this time we ask that you prepare the hearts here for what you want them to take and only what you want them to take, and that you use me as your vessel to solely glorify your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, it's kind of refreshing. I've been going through, uh, over in Castledale, through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we've been going through that Gospel. We were in Genesis, and we took a little bit of a break from Jacob, where it transitions from Jacob to, to Joseph, and uh, decided we need to go to Jesus, to the Gospel of Mark. I, have to, I can't lie. I love Psalms. I love the Old Testament. I enjoy the Old Testament. They're stories. I can relate to these people. I can relate to these guys. I can relate to what's going on. And so when Nick told me that you guys were going through Psalms through the summer, it kind of, I kind of got happy. Because I was like, ah, I'm going to go to Psalms, and I'm going to be able to go back and review David's life and see what's going on with what he's writing here in, in chapter 7. And uh, it just is exciting. Psalms, though, is, they're pretty, they can be pretty difficult, and they can be really, really personal when I was down there at college, I had a mentor, uh, and I paced a little bit. I hope you guys are okay with that. And I probably are going to be moving this up and down a little bit. I kind of fidget with stuff. But 
when I was down there at Tekoa, I had a mentor, Mr. Penlin, and he told me that when every morning he wakes up and he reads five psalms a day, and he reads one chapter of Proverbs. And he told me, and it wasn't original, I've heard some people who, who've done this, and so throughout the month, that's what he does. And he gets through the whole book of Psalms in a month, and the whole book of Proverbs. And he says, the psalm, Psalms are for this. They're where I can come before God, and it's my relationship with God, and his relationship with me. And then the Proverbs are the horizontal relationship and how I treat others and how I want others to treat me. And he, he combines those together and he says that when he comes to Psalms, it's not just that he reads Psalms. He takes Psalms and he writes his own Psalms from the Psalms. Whatever he may be going through that day, if there's a Psalm, he'll rewrite it. He'll make a poem himself. And he said that that's just the way that he comes in. And when I was studying this, this is what came to my mind. And we're going to begin here in this in this uh, scripture, in the very beginning, it says, uh, and, and I'm not very good with Hebrew, it's, it says, uh, uh, Shigigan of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. David here, and they don't really exactly know what that word is, what it means. They think it's a vocal term, but they're not sure. But others will say that it is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's for music. It's a song that David specifically is writing to sing to the Lord. And that this has a lot of emotion. A lot of connection here. There's something going on with him in this word. Uh, others would say, well, we don't really know what it means. It's just a musical term. But what's important with this is that it's, it's he, this is David, is singing it to the Lord. And it's about the story of Cush. And we really don't know who Cush, a Benjamite, is. We don't really know who this man is. There's some theories of who this may be. It may be someone who was uh, friends with Saul, King Saul, when King Saul was going after and chasing David. Or it could be when Absalom was uh, chasing David. Either way, someone is chasing David. And so this man, Cush, came to David. He said some words to him. He said something that triggered something in him, in David, to where he wanted to go out and he wanted to sing a song to the Lord. I don't know how often that happens to you. How often do you have a desire to go out there and write a song and sing it to audience of one, the one, only God? That doesn't happen often with me. Now, I'll go, because I'm not very original, I'll go steal someone else's song, Right? And, and I have a really hard time memorizing songs. I don't know why. It's like I can remember the stupidest songs that is worthless. But when it comes to remembering the beautiful songs that we sing at church, I like get snippets of it. Like amazing, great, and, you know, and I, amazing, grace, and I just keep saying it. Or blessed assurance, Jesus. And I just keep saying blessed assurance, you know, because that's what I know. I don't, it's really bad that way, but I need to practice. But I don't go out there and I don't sit down. And, I, and, and someone comes and says something to me. And I just have to sit and say to myself, you know, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to write a song to God. And I'm going to sing this song to God. That doesn't happen. David has a really special relationship with God. He doesn't even know who Jesus Christ is because we're in the Old Testament. It's kind of a challenge for us today as Christians when we have this personal relationship through Jesus Christ and we did on the cross. And then this doesn't happen very often, at least not for me. And it's a challenge. Psalms are a huge challenge. They really are. If you start studying them, they're a challenge for the believer to walk a life that glorifies God. 
But he sings this to the Lord concerning these words. And then we go into verse 1. It says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. This is pretty powerful. This is the foundation of the whole entire psalm because whatever this person told David made him want to go write this psalm and sing it to the Lord. And we see that when we come to this, that he begins the whole psalm here where he says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Now others may say, in you I put my trust. If you go back and you see what that is, because, because some versions are different. I'm reading out of the ESV. Uh, it says to take refuge. Others says I put my trust. If you go back and you look at that word, it is to flee from something. You're fleeing from something. And it's very important before we get into anything is that the Lord, that God is your Lord. That God is your Lord. He just can't be that because it, you probably know this. But the God of the universe is the God of everybody in the universe on earth. Whether they realize that or not, he is their God. But is he their Lord? That's where it separates. And that's where King David here, or David this time, he's saying that the God of the universe, this God, is my Lord. He is my master. And it's, it's not just that he's my Lord and he's my master, but when you go into in you, in the Lord, do I take refuge. Now, when you think of refuge and you're fleeing from something, this refuge is, God is a refuge. A refuge from what? As Christians today, we know that our biggest enemy is sin and death. Because we don't just have the Psalms. We don't just have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have all of Scripture now, and we can see it through it all together. And we realize that we on our own can't come to God because of our sin and, our, and death. We bring destruction. And so we're running away from something. And who we run to says a lot about who we are. David runs to the Lord. And a lot of times, and we know because of the news and the stories that we see happening in the Middle East and what's going on back there, uh, and the refugees, is that if you are a refugee needing refuge, does that mean that you can independently go and fix the problem? No. No, you're, you're needing help. That's why you're going to this campus, because wherever you were at wasn't healthy, it wasn't good, it wasn't right. And you couldn't make it right. So you're leaving that place. And we see this with David. And he's going to the Lord as a refuge because it's only God who can give us protection from what's going on around us. But he goes on and says, in, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. Now this says a lot because Psalms just has so much. You can go to each psalm and you could, do, you could spend forever in each psalm. But who is King David? What is King David known for? What's some stories that we know with King David? Fighting the lion? Valiant warrior. Goliath. <laughs> Very naughty. Sin. That's what we have. Sin. But in all of that, he's King David. A mighty warrior. He killed Goliath. He killed a lion. And here he's sitting there. Whatever words were told to him by Cush, these, these, and we, we're going to see here, it's David believes that they're false words, that they're not accurate words about what he's done. 
But he says that my enemies, if you, uh, I was talking to Jennifer just a little bit, if you go back to, to, to David and his mighty man, his 33 mighty man, that's a whole entire army of itself at the time. You don't really need very many more guys after those 33 guys. When you have guys that can go out there and kill 80 guys at one time, 800, uh, 800 guys at one time, another guy killed 300, another one did this, and then one had fought so hard that his hand was clasped onto his weapon, and he couldn't let it go because that's how hard he... You don't, and then when his three guys go down and get him a drink of water in the middle of the Philistine camp, you don't really need a lot of guys. You, don't, you need God on your side first, but, but you don't need a lot of guys. And we see that he, instead of David saying, I'm going to deliver myself from these enemies... He is calling upon God to deliver himself from these enemies. He says, save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. And that goes back to the very first part of the psalm in verse 1, because he needs refuge. Even though King David is a mighty man, a mighty warrior, a guy who knows how to go and get things done when it comes to enemies like this, he realizes that the source of that comes from God himself. So he says, Less like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I had done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life into the ground and lay my glory in the dust. That is a powerful question to ask God. So often, at least and I know in my life, that when things are going bad, it's someone else's fault. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. If this person just had done that, then this wouldn't be happening to me right now. And, and, and very seldom do we come to God and we say, now God, if there's anything that I've done, show it to me. And you know the scary thing about that is when you come to God, and you ask God to show you where you're lacking, do you know what he does? He shows you. But we should desire that. We should desire that because we may be completely and totally fixated on what's straight in front of us and what we think is appropriate, what we think is right, and what we think is good for us. And God, and just around the corner, we're not seeing what's coming ahead. And God comes over and God says, this is what needs to happen. And, you're, and we're forcing our will against what God wants to have happen. And trouble comes. And we don't sit back and we say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What have I done to my friends? What have I done to, he says, to an enemy? Uh, there, there's this, if I have plundered my enemy without cause. Usually when we think of enemies and we think of, of this person as an enemy, we don't sit there and think, okay, usually if I can get that person, it's a good thing. He's my enemy. David here, and again, we David is before, hundreds of years before Christ. He has it all. So he, there's these, these boundaries. The enemy pursues my soul. And then he says, if this happened, if I've done this to my friend, if I've done this to my enemy, he says, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. How many of us would like to see our glory trampled in the ground in the dust. And, and tell God, if this has happened, this is the consequence that should occur. 
my glory in the dust. We are all into uh, reputation and names. It's just not around here. It's around the whole entire world. And, and uh, we have a sheep herder. His name's Pausto. The guy, he's 52 years old. He's a Peruvian. And he is strong. He's a strong man. He will grab a bell of hay and throw it on his shoulder, and he will run with that bell of hay on his shoulder. He'll go, and he will feed that bell of hay, and he will come back to the haystack, and he will throw another bell of hay and run. And he'll do that about 15 to 20 times and feed the sheep. Now, we're sitting there looking at that because I'm a sheep rancher. I'm a sheep rancher, so that's why we have sheep. So if you're like, well, he's talking about sheep, that's why. Uh, Fausto, and, uh, and we have a wheelbarrow, and we tell Fausto, Fausto, you can use a wheelbarrow. You can put three of them on. Technically, he could probably put six and run with it. But he has this reputation down in Peru of being able to put huge bags of rice. He has this massive reputation. He has such a reputation that uh, our fellow neighbor sheep herders up on the mountain who work for other ranches know that he's working for us. We were in the corral the other day, and we were talking to one of them, and, and he said, Fausto works for you. His fa- his Fausto actually means fabulous. He changed his name to Fausto. It wasn't originally Fausto. It means fabulous. He's like, we heard that you have Fausto working for you. And, and, they, and I, we said, yeah. And he's like, he, in our pueblos, in our towns, he has a big name, a big name down there. I'm going to tell you something. Fausto can't hurt sheep to save his life. All that reputation, the reputation of his name, doesn't do one thing when it comes to hurting those sheep. Because in reality, our glory, our legacy, our reputation is really nothing without God. And Fausto would try to do that, and then we were trying to teach Fausto. And he's a good guy. He's a decent guy. He's a hard worker. I'm not, he is a good guy that way. But if you were to tell him, now, Fausto, I'm giving you 12 blacks with 900 sheep, and you've got to keep those 900 sheep and those 12 blacks together. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. He probably would be dead. And I'm not even lying. And it's not his fault. He just isn't a good sheeper. He has that reputation. This here with David, our glory is important to us. Our legacy, who we are is important. But when it comes to going outside of the will of God, David here says, if I have done these things, take my name, take my reputation, and put it in the dust, put it in the ground. And that is a big challenge, a big challenge to come to God and say, show me where I need to die to myself, my reputation and my glory, and allow you to build me up. And and the good thing is, is when he builds us up, we're not the same person. Thankfully, where he's working on us, he's molding us into something that he desires instead of what we would desire. In verse 6, it goes on, it says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. So this is where we see that, that, that David doesn't believe what's going on is, is accurate. The words that this man had said to him isn't really accurate. And it's kind of slandering him. And the enemies are coming after him. There's pressure on him. There's pressure of what to do. And when he comes and he says, he opens himself up to God and he says, God, look and examine me. Show me. And then after that, he says, 
Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. This is what he's saying. This isn't accurate. He wants this time. It wasn't fair. What's going on right now with these people with me isn't fair. And Lord, I want you to come in, and I want you to take away what's going on with these enemies that are pursuing me. In your anger, not in David's anger, but in the Lord's anger. You know, the Lord's anger is 100% righteous. The Lord never is angry when it's not supposed to happen. When he is angry, it is for his sake. It's for him. It is right. It is not wrong. When I get angry, it is not right. All the right. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes. A lot of times it's not right when I'm angry. Uh, this week, and the, these uh, run sheep up there, and it's been a crazy... You say that July's been crazy with stuff. It's, it's crazy. July was crazy. I, was, uh, I have ulcerative colitis, and so I'm in a flare-up, and they put me on uh, prednisone. And when I'm on prednisone, I get angry. I get angry. And uh, we had a, just about three days ago, I was up on the mountain, and there was a camper pushing my sheep with his four-wheeler. And uh, so I jogged over there, and I was praying, Lord, give me wisdom, give me guidance. I don't want to do something that doesn't glorify you. And I walked over there and I said, hey, you can't be pushing my sheep. And he said, oh, he just went off. And I said, well, and the sheriff said to us, he's like, if you have issues with campers, just give us a call. Get their license plate, give us a call. You can do something. So I looked at him and I said, because uh, you're like this, I said, I'm going to have to go down and get your license plate from your camp and then I'm going to have to call the sheriff. Oh, he's like, you do it. You do that. So then he took off on his four-wheeler down to his camp, and then this other guy came out from a different camp, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And I'm just feeling, I'm just like, here's this other guy coming, and his older man, and he comes over, and he's like, are these your sheep? And I'm like, yes, they're my sheep. And he said, oh, well, I'm just going to tell you, there's a guard dog over there. And he was nice. And I'm like, oh. So then I calmed down just a little bit, and I went down to this man's camp, and I walked into his camp, and uh, his wife was there, and his wife came out, and she said that, uh, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm coming in to get your license plate because I got to call the sheriff because of blah, blah. And I said, I don't want this to, to be bad. And I'm trying to be calm. And it just got out of hand. And I was pretty angry. And I had a, well, my phone's in my pocket and this is over. The, but my hand was shaking like this. And I'm trying not to scream. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm just going to call the sheriff. And she's like, well, you go ahead. I want to talk to him too. And I'm like, no, you don't, because he told me to call him when this happens. And I, you know, and she's like, yes, I do want to talk to him. And I'm like, okay, I have your license plate. If you want to talk to him, what's your name? Oh, he can just find that out when he looks up the license plate. And I'm like, yeah, you don't want to talk to him, you know. And uh, I looked at her and I said, I'm just trying to work here. I said, I don't want to have issues. I said, you know, I'm supposed to, and I've got a hat with Jesus' name on it with a cross, okay? And I'm trying to keep calm. And I said, you know, I'm here to love God and to love people. I told her this. I said, and when people are unlovable, i got to call the sheriff. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, that's when it really went off on the scales. And she got really angry at me. And I got angry. I'm telling you, when I left and I had the license plate number and, I, and they weren't going to give me their names, which I, didn't matter because I had their license plate, I was going and I got about 30 yards out of their camp. 
And then all of a sudden what came over me was, I have to go back. I have to go back. Because that anger was not righteous anger on my part. I shouldn't have been sitting there shaking like that. I should have just went in and been quiet and left. So I went back, and the wife was gone. She was getting a beer. She was stirred up. And her husband was sitting there, and he hadn't moved. And I went in there, and I said, I, and I walked right about, about here to that wall away, and I said, I have to apologize to you. I said, I got angry, and I lost my temper, and that was not right. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm sorry, too. And I mean, the decimal points were way down here. They were way down here. And no swearing on their part. I, you know, I don't swear, so, but there was a lot of swearing that was going on. And he wasn't swearing, and it was completely and totally changed. It was completely and totally changed when I was in there, and I was angry myself. And there. So, but the thing with God is that when David's calling upon God to arise and do something, he's just telling God to arise in his anger, not in David's anger, but in God's anger. And there's a huge difference between man's anger and God's anger, because God's anger is always righteous. It's always right. He says, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. He wants the people to gather around God. He doesn't want them to gather around himself. He doesn't want them to gather around his authority as a man. He wants them to gather around God because there's a time on this appointment of judgment. And he goes on, he says, over in return on high, the Lord judges the peoples. And then instead of sitting there saying, judge those people, God, go over there and judge those people, then what does he do is he turns that around and he says, Lord judges the peoples, judge me, O Lord according to my righteousness and according to integrity that is in me. So often that is so hard to sit there when people seem to be slandering, seem to be putting obstacles in your way with God, and then you come over and you tell God, you judge the people, God, and you come and judge me. What's interesting about this little verse is that it says, according, it says judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Now, does David have... Righteousness? He was naughty. Jennifer said he was naughty. The righteousness that he has isn't from himself, and we know this from all of Scripture. The righteousness comes from God and God alone. We sang that this morning. The righteousness comes from God and from God alone. And the integrity that is in me, that integrity comes from God. And one reason he can do this is because God is his Lord. God is his Lord. God is his refuge. God is his Savior. He, he has this relationship with God. And without that relationship with God, he would have none. He would have no righteousness. He'd have no integrity. And verse 9 says, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. God tests the minds, and not just the minds, but the hearts. We're going to be flipping just a little bit here. We're going to flip over to... Uh, 1 Samuel. Sixteen, six, And this is before David. This is just when he's getting anointed as king, even though King Saul was still anointed. Uh, he was still king at the time. In verse 6 it says, When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely, and this is Samuel, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. On the heart. This is before King David becomes king. He's going to be anointed by Samuel right here. And, and all of David's brothers are coming through, and then Samuel just knew that Eliab here, he is the guy. He must have been tall. He had the stature. He had probably this presence of, of being this leader, this natural leader. And God tells Samuel, no, 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 that's not him. I have rejected him. I look at the heart of the man. Now, did God know what David was going to do as king? Absolutely. He knew exactly what David was going to do as king. Before king and I, uh, being a king, and then now he's being pursued by his son, he knew everything that was going to happen, but he still wanted and desired to anoint David. Not because David's heart was awesome and amazing, but David's heart desired this relationship with God. And God knew that. He knows that. God knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows our minds. And he wants us to have that relationship with him that what we're not going out there and being self-sufficient. We're not going to go out there and be completely, totally independent on our own and force things to happen. But we're going to be reliant on Him, on God, on Jesus Christ, and on His Spirit and on His Word. That's what the Lord wants. Because He sees the minds and He sees the hearts. All the talking, all the outward appearance, everything that we could look at and what we think, now this man God can use or this woman God can use in this way. And then you might get to know that person after blindside you and just stab you right in the back. And you're like, where did that come from? It's because their focus was not on the Lord. But then after David, because David knows, uh, he knows quite a bit about the Lord searching the minds and the hearts. We're going to go to Chronicles. Uh, chapter 28, First Chronicles chapter 28. And uh, because, again, this, this psalm is with David. It's a song written specifically for the audience of one, the one and true God of the universe. And he's writing this, and, 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 and you obviously you know that this is for him personally. This is for him to sing to God. We have this because God uses all these different authors for us to be able to go in and examine. But this was an individual uh, uh, song of David's to God that we get to, to see and to examine, to apply in our own lives. It says in verse 9, it says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Now we know a little bit about this story is that King David wanted to build the temple. He wanted to build this temple for God before it was a tabernacle. And he was going to build this temple, and God said, no, you're not going to build the temple because you're too good of a warrior. And this goes back. He shed too much blood. He was going and he was, just, he was extending this kingdom that God had given to him. Over a long period of time, God gave it to him. He went through a lot of trials to get to that point. And after he got to that point, he had to go through trials with his son because he wasn't a man of perfection. But he repented from his sin and he would turn to God. So he's telling Solomon here, listen, you, know, you need to know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Absolutely anything that we do, any thought that we have, God understands deeper than we understand ourselves. 
That's one reason why when David comes over in Psalm 7 and he tells God, search me, if I have done this to my friend or my enemy, then let this happen. Because David understands that, that there's a chance that, that he doesn't even know his own heart. The Bible tells us that. We may think that we can go and do this deal for God and it's going to bring glory to God and then after that we leave and it's completely and totally rubbish. And we puff ourselves up. I was listening to a man on the uh, a pastor on the radio and, and he did this sermon and the sermon was, was amazing and people came over and they came to the pastor and they're like, you just this outstanding job, you this amazing message. It spoke me this, 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 this. And then the whole time he says, you know, oh yeah, praise God. You know, I've prayed over it and God used it. And then about four weeks later, because usually what happens when you're up here and you preach, four weeks after you do a sermon, you can ask people about what you preached four weeks ago. And a lot of times they're like, Jesus. <laughs> you know, you preach about Jesus, you preach about God. And you're like, mm, good. That's, that's about Jesus. It's about God. But uh, anyway, when what happened was about four weeks later, people were still coming to him, and they're like, that message on that. And it wasn't like, you know, a couple weeks ago, which it was like six weeks ago or three weeks ago. They were like, on this Sunday, on that message, and it was four weeks, six weeks, and people were still coming to him just saying how, and then all of a sudden he, he got a big head. And then that went from gold, that message of his went from gold and silver to straw and rubbish. And he said what, what, what was going on is God was working on him and said, hey, listen, hey, I'm, I'm trying to wake you up. Come here. You're not that neat. And he had to repent because he became boastful. So he says all the thoughts, all the plans, God knows. And he says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. God knows the heart. So in Psalm chapter 7 here, he's saying to search the minds and the hearts. You know, you can have the truth of the gospel in your mind. You can flat out just look at someone and say, yeah, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And he rose again on the third day, and there's victory over sin and death. And that could be all right here. They could go into justification, sanctification. They could go into all these things of what the Bible talks about. And if it isn't right here, when they die, it's going to be a sad day. Because it's the heart. God wants the whole person. He just doesn't want the mind. He wants the heart. He wants the whole. So David says, judge the peoples, judge me according to my righteousness and his integrity. And we know that's only solely from God. And says, well, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous. You test the minds and the hearts, O righteous God. You know, God wouldn't be a righteous God if he didn't do that. If God would just turn a blind eye to our pride, to our greed, to our jealousness, to our lusts and our desires, and whatever that is, and he's just like, you know, <laughs> they're human. They're just human. They're sin. I, I mean, I created them, and I knew that they were going to do this, but they're just humans. They're human. And I'm going to turn a blind eye. He wouldn't be a righteous judge. He wouldn't be a righteous God. Because you have to have grace and mercy with justice. And we're going to come into that right here. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. 
God is a righteous judge. You notice he keeps saying that. He keeps talking about judging, and he keeps talking about righteousness, and he keeps talking about God in that. But he comes back, and it says, my shield is with God. My shield is with God. In Ephesians, in the armor of God, the shield is of faith. The shield of faith. And that faith is in God. That faith is in Jesus Christ and what he did. That faith is what allows us to be righteous ourselves. And we see that in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 15, that when, when Abraham just gets done, he goes and saves Lot because the, the kings went and took him. And, and I imagine he's probably feeling a little bit isolated, Abraham. And he's sitting there. It's, it's not Abraham yet, it's Abram. But he's sitting there, and he says that the God comes and speaks to him. And he says, I am your shield and your reward. I am your shield. I am your protector. I'm your defense. This is, and David would know this. David would know the story. And then I think in Ephesians, and when Paul writes Ephesians, he knows that the shield is important. And the shield is with God. Our shield is God. It's faith in what Jesus Christ has done. That's how we have victory. That's how we have victory over our enemies in our lives, whatever those may be. It says, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. The only way you can be upright in heart is through Jesus Christ. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Now, how do you like that? God has anger. He has indignation every day. And a lot of times when we're in, in church and we, when we read and we see Jesus and we see Jesus loves, he has this compassion, he has that. But you know, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to be the lamb. He's going to be a lion. There's going to be wrath. But there's no excuse for people because people can see God throughout all of creation and see his goodness and his attributes. It says in Romans, there's no excuse. But God can be a God of anger. If he wasn't a God of indignation, and if he wasn't angry with sin, he wouldn't be a righteous judge. He wouldn't be a righteous judge. And it goes on and says, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. Now think about that imagery. When he comes back in Revelation, it says that he's going to, uh, the, the image that John gives us is that Jesus is coming back, and, and what's coming out of his mouth? A sword. And he's going to have fire for eyes. He's going to wet his sword. He's going to bring wrath upon people. A wet sword is one that's just been used. It's not a clean sword. It's not a dry sword. It's one that has just did some cutting. He will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. So we see that this is not a picture of what, what modern Christianity and a lot of Christian places teach. They really teach that God is love, and he is love. He can be angry because he's a jealous God. He wants his creation to worship him, and it makes him angry when that does not occur. But that's part of being a righteous judge is that he is prepared and he is ready to bring upon judgment. But it's because they, what? If man does not repent. If man doesn't repent for dethroning God in his rightful place in our lives and in our hearts, God is ready to give them what they desire. That's actually what they desire. You know, if, if a person doesn't desire God, repent and want to follow God, they don't desire 
a life of abundance and joy and peace. They desire chaos and destruction because they are their own kings. They are their own authority. So really, they desire to be wedded by his sword and to have his bow ready for him. Fiery shafts. Behold the wicked man. But it's not just that he's up there and he's like ready just to like, oh, that person right there, they're not repenting. I'm just going, you know, get rid of them. That's not what's going on here because it goes on with David. And he says, behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. This pit would be a trap. This evil person is sitting there, and, and, and talk about some, some, some imagery of an evil human being, is conceived with evil and is pregnant with mischief. What, what, so when you go into pregnancy, you're, you're there normally you're pregnant for about nine months, and then you have this result of a baby. It isn't just that the sin comes in quick, and then it goes out quite fast, you know. It's in quick and it's out fast. This sin that's in these people is maturing. It's maturing inside of them as a baby does in a woman when she is pregnant. And then when it does, when this evil person does give birth, however long that sin just sits there and marinates, you know, the biscuits in the oven. When, when, when my wife was, uh, was pregnant with our child, uh, I tell people sometimes, they're like, oh, how... When in, you know, how long she's been pregnant for? And I'd say, oh, they've been cooking for about four months, you know. She's just in there cooking, getting ready to come. So these, this, this mischief that these evil people are pregnant with isn't just, you know, the sin comes quick in their life and then they turn around and they go out. It's building up and it builds up to these lies. These lies that they are their own kings of their own lives, that their righteousness comes from their own hands, that, that, that what they're doing is right before the eyes of God then they blind themselves with their own lies. They dig this pit, and digging it out is for someone else, but then they fall into it. You know, God doesn't have to, to uh, bring destruction upon people. I tell people that we're like sheep, and everyone thinks the sheep are stupid. And people are kind of wrong on that. Sheep aren't stupid. They're actually quite intelligent. They're just prone to self-destruct. They're prone to self-destruct. They're not stupid. These people are digging this out. God doesn't have to go and trip them up. He doesn't have to ready his bow and, and let it fly. You see that the result of men's hearts when they are wicked is that they dig a hole and then they themselves fall into that hole. That's a consequence of their sin. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends. The judgment is upon himself. You know, when, when you go to Romans chapter 1 and, and you see what happens with the evil people uh, and, and God says that his attributes are in all of creation, that's why there's no excuse. You should be able to look at creation and know that there's a magnificent God, a mighty God, a God who is personal, because why would he create all this? Why would he create me with a mind and a brain if he didn't want to be personal in my life? And they soundly reject that. But then God says he will turn them over to themselves. That's the judgment. We see that in our country. They reject God. They reject Christ. And they go and they are turned over to themselves. And it brings destruction and chaos. 
because they are turned over to themselves. It's not that God's up there making people go around and sin against one another. It's not that he's making Washington, D.C. hate one another. I don't know if you guys are into politics, but I just brought that in a little bit. (laughs) They all are sad. All sides of politics are sad. It'd be really hard to go in politics and not sell your soul to the devil. It really would. But it's not that God's up there doing that, you know, pitting up the Republicans against the Democrats. He's not doing that. <laughs> That's us. That's ourselves. And it's judgment. Can be judgment. Sometimes we don't know. I don't, I don't want to be careful on that. I'm going to just take a moment because sometimes things happen. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world because of sin. So just because something happens in our lives doesn't mean that it's God up there judging us or that he's given us, given us over to ourselves. Sometimes things happen. And, and it's just because we live in a broken world. Sometimes it is judgment. So I want to make a difference there. Sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, uh, there was a little kid over at church, and um, he was, we were talking about the judgments of God. And, and, well, we were talking about Noah. And uh, he, he started talking about all the, the uh, hurricanes and stuff and, and tornadoes. And he said, that's because God's judging us. It could be. I, we don't know. Uh, so we've got to be careful. Because if you say that God's judging us and he's not judging us, you just took God's name in vain. So we've got to be careful. Uh, anyway, so it, the, the, the evil person falls into his own pit. His own judgment is from his own actions. And in verse 17 it says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. He ends with his praise because he knows that God is good. He knows that God is righteous. And whatever the outcome may be, because he's right in the middle of this, He's right in the middle of being pursued. He's right in the middle of uh, writing the song to God, and he knows that God is righteous. Now with us, and I'm going to end with this, in Romans chapter 4, about being justified by faith, that righteousness being made right with God. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's nothing that, that Abraham could do to deserve righteousness. If he could, if anything that he did, he could boast about that in the, before the throne of God. And he can't because he just believed what God said and it was counted him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. What saves us is grace through faith. Grace of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. That is what it's about. That is a gift from God. It isn't that I go and do this, this, and this, and then I get heaven. That's the world. It's a lie. Because when you're honest with yourselves, you realize that you're not righteous. You don't have righteousness, and you don't have integrity. David knew that. He could look at his own life and see that. And and, uh, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. This is David. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. I'm going to stop right there and then I'm going to end. Our lawless deeds are forgiven and are covered by Christ's blood. The Lamb of God. His blood. Not our works. Not what we do but by the blood of Jesus Christ who came down and took our sin, whose sins are covered and the Lord 
will not count his sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for using real people. People like David. People like ourselves who find that we are not righteous before you, Lord, but that we are righteous because of you, what you've done for us. And that your salvation that you give to us, Lord, is a gift. It's not something due to us. It's not wages. It's not something that we earn, but it's solely a gift. And that you have put your righteousness upon us. And the only thing we have to do is to believe and to make you Lord and Savior of our lives. We give you thanks for your truth. And we just ask that we apply that into our lives. And we live into that grace and mercy that you've given to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.